in America, we settle our differences at the ballot box. We don't have coups, we don't have riots. We have to have some semblance of order if our government is to remain strong. Well, there's an idea. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Nowadays. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast that's heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, in Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Jamesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis-St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe for you every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Bird and Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow from bradblog.com, says me, uh, on a day that uh, parts of this country really could use a blanket. Thank you for joining us today for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. No, it ain't just Texas. Not by a long shot. By 8.15 a.m. local time on Tuesday morning, Oklahoma's two largest electrical utilities, Oklahoma Gas and Electric and Public Service Company of Oklahoma, reported a total of 147,000 customers without power as the state reached record low temperatures. The low this morning at the Oklahoma City Airport was, get this, minus 14 degrees. Wow. The coldest it has been there mm. since February 12 of 1899. Frigid weather will stick around for a few more days still with a low of 2 degrees likely tonight in Chicago, 1 degree in Indianapolis. Omaha could fall to minus 4 while Eau Claire, Wisconsin bottomed out at minus 26 degrees on Tuesday morning. Dang. Of course, it's Wisconsin. They're used to it, right? Mm, I don't know if they're used to that. Many places uh, from St. Louis, Missouri to Austin, Texas uh, saw temperatures that were colder than Alaska, where Anchorage saw a comparatively balmy low of 20 degrees. Hmm. While in Kansas City, the temperature was minus 10 on Tuesday morning. In St. Joseph's, Missouri, minus 21. That compared with 5 degrees above zero in Fairbanks, Alaska. It's downright balmy in Fairbanks. Book your tickets now. 
At the same time, amid these freezing temperatures, millions of Americans are now in the dark from Texas to Nebraska during record-breaking cold and Yet another winter storm is now eyeing the south and the east, according to the Capitol Weather Gang today. At least 14 people are dead as of airtime in four states from the effects of the record-shattering cold snap and series of winter storms. In Texas, however, as the electricity grid struggles to keep pace with record high demand, uh, amid this historic cold outbreak, people are turning to unsafe means to heat their homes. A woman and a girl died from carbon monoxide poisoning in Houston after a car was left running in a garage to keep them warm, according to police. The Arctic air has also claimed the life of at least one homeless person in Houston. And a 10-year-old boy died after he fell through ice near Millington, Tennessee. Arctic air drawn to the south, and it is literally Arctic air. Yes. The effects of the so-called polar vortex, uh, that air drawn to the south uh, helped create a tornado that struck in North Carolina overnight. That killed at least three people. It injured 10. But in Texas uh, especially, uh, millions have now been plunged into darkness as the state's electric grid strains to provide power during this historic cold spell. Over 4 million customers in Texas remained without power on Tuesday morning in a state that prides itself as the energy capital of the world, Desi Doyen. At least they used to. Yeah. Well, that was just fossil fuels, not uh, necessarily actual energy of all kinds, but just fossil fuels, which, you know, famously did not do the job in this uh, in this cold snap. A cocktail of high power demand is how Washington Post describes it. Strained natural gas supply due to a drop in pressure and frozen instruments at those fossil fuel and nuclear facilities. And yes, iced wind turbines, which were not properly winterized, as they are, for example, in Sweden and elsewhere in the U.S., where officials actually give a damn to make sure that their residents don't freeze to death during a winter storm. And, of course, the independent streak that bleeds into how Texas runs its grid has all led to widespread persistent outages, stranding people without power, uh, forcing them to hunker down in their homes as temperatures remain dangerously below freezing. Texas Governor Greg Abbott declared reform of the state's grid operator as an emergency item for this legislative session. Reform in a state that deregulated the power grid some years ago and have largely handed the entire thing over to private companies because, you know, Private companies generally always look out for their customers' best interests. Am I right? Abbott is urging state lawmakers to investigate the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, or ERCOT, in an effort to determine what went wrong and how to prevent it from occurring again. Far too many Texans are without power and heat for their homes as our state faces freezing temperatures and severe winter weather, Abbott said in a statement. That is unacceptable. 
The governor said he intends to work with state legislate, uh, state legislators to, quote, ensure that our state never experiences power outages like this again. Now, uh, two things that I will welcome your thoughts on, Desi Doyen. Mm-hmm. Actually, three. Uh, <laughs> first one, is your family okay? Are they yes. still okay? Yes, everybody's okay. Everybody's checked in. They're all still okay, still without power, however. Without power? Well, it's intermittent, you know, five minutes on, three hours off, that kind of thing. In this kind of cold. Uh, and and we have been in Texas during some of the worst oh, yeah. cold. It gets really cold down there, and it is now colder than it was then. Yes, All right. So the two things I want your comments on. One, uh, unlike the rest of the country, Texas actually has its own independent electric grid. It's completely independent from any other state. I think it's the only state in the union. But that means when power fails, they can't get power from elsewhere, as happens everywhere else in the country. Do I understand that correctly? Yes, you do understand that correctly. For example, most of the country is separated into big regions, and those regions not only communicate with each other, say like uh, the West Coast region, communicates all the way up to British Columbia, and we can buy power and share power and transfer power and send it where it's needed. Texas is not like that. Now, part of that has to do with the fact that Texas started out as its own independent nation before becoming a state, but the rest of it has to do with Texas not wanting to have any kind of uh, federal regulation or oversight. So the so they don't want federal regulation or oversight. But boy, were they quick to ask for a federal emergency declaration and help from the federal government when things were looking bad down there. No, as well they should, because that's how it's supposed to work. Now uh, Texas doesn't want to have the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, known as FERC for short. They don't want FERC to tell them what to do and how to uh, uh, negotiate their uh, power sharing agreements with. Other other grids in other parts, other regions. So that's part of the reason why they're completely cut off. Okay. And again, I'm sorry, I got to jump in. They don't want federal regulations. They don't want FERC to tell them what to do. But when they get in trouble, they want the feds to come in and bail them out. Yes, and I'm glad they do because I have family there, so no, I want I, that to be there. I'm not against them getting a federal help, but this notion that, oh, we are totally alone. Texas, it's what, what, how'd the old advertisement go? It's a Duh. whole other country? Yeah. <laughs> well, apparently it's not because they're coming to our country for help. If it were another country, I'd be the first one to call for building a wall around it, but that's <laughs> another issue. All right, the other question, I'm already hearing Fox News, Tucker Carlson, for example, Uh, Last night, I think, claiming that it is renewable energy, wind turbines in this case, that are killing people in Texas. Your response to Tucker and I'll go out and get a sandwich while you enjoy yourself. <laughs> well, that is total BS, as you probably surmised already. What? No, uh, the, uh, the, actually what happened was the fossil fuel-powered electric grid in Texas failed. Could not handle the cold snap. You had pipelines freezing up. You had instruments freezing up, as you noticed. Um, and yes, there were about, I don't know, about half of the wind turbine capacity in Texas. Texas froze up as well, but that's because they installed everything on the cheap in Texas. They're not required by any kind of regulation to ensure that energy supplies of any type are winterized. There's that lack of regulation again. Exactly. We don't want regulation. Regulation which ensures this crap actually works when we need it to work. It ensures minimum standards for operation, and so that was a huge failure right there. So Fox News is just flat out lying about that. So our Republicans 
Republicans and other right-wing media that are saying those things. The second part of that is that ERCOT, the Texas grid operator, failed in their scenario planning. Their worst-case scenario was based on the 2011 cold snap, and this was much worse. So ERCOT had these uh, projections that they made about where they were going to get power from next time this really bad cold snap happened, and they were wrong. Their worst-case scenario was not just wrong, it was stupid. (laughs) And, And didn't I also hear that it was actually some of the wind turbines um, we're actually uh, producing now, yes. more. So than now solar and wind, especially wind in Texas, is outperforming ERCOT's projections because, you know, it's sunny, the wind is blowing, and when they weren't frozen up, they were overperforming during the storm. So if they'd had, be- had more of them winterized, that might have made a difference. If they'd winterized their natural gas pipelines, that definitely would have made a difference as well. Uh, ERCOT did not expect for one-third of their coal and natural gas plants to trip offline because of the cold. That's what caused this. As well in Texas, uh, these outages come just months after rolling blackouts uh, out here in California during another extreme weather event, uh, highlighting how the climate changing is uh, poised to test the metal of the power sector in Texas and everywhere else in the country uh, and uh, and the infrastructure that we have set up to handle it or not. Uh, Desi Doyne, you'll have more to say on that uh, oh, yes. in our Green News report a little bit later. But very quickly, last August, in response to a message from the governor's office here in California urging residents to turn off unneeded lights and limit the use of appliances during a particularly crushing heat wave that we had, Texas's junior Republican senator Ted Cruz tweeted out this gem, quote, California is now unable to perform even basic functions of civilization, like having reliable electricity. Biden, Harris, AOC want to make California's failed energy policy the standard nationwide. Hope you don't like air conditioning, Ted Cruz tweeted. Well, as you might imagine, he's getting just a bit of blowback about that one today. For example, one that I'm allowed to read on FCC radio (laughs) says Texas is now unable to perform even the most basic functions of a civilization, like having reliable electricity. The GOP wants to keep the entire country forever tied to fossil fuels. Hey, Ted Cruz, how's Texas's electrical grid working tonight? Hope y'all don't like heat. Yep. The uh, editor of the opinion editor of the Houston Chronicle tweeted, Hey, Senator Cruz, Texas could use some civilization about now. People are freezing to death. Ted Cruz is having a particularly excellent 2021 so far, wouldn't you say? So there's a little bit of accountability, at least for one of the worst U.S. senators currently representing Texas. But speaking of accountability, uh, yeah, we remain on the accountability beat for the worst U.S. president in all of history. Today, in a new federal lawsuit, he may finally be seeing some accountability. That story and constitutional legal scholar John Boniface, who called for constitutional accountability on day one of the Trump presidency, He joins us next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, 
Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate and thanks. Don't do the crime if you can't do the time. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, don't do the crime if you can't do the time. You know, the callers to our show can be very smart from time to time. Yesterday, for example, we had a caller on the broadcast who suggested that members and staffers in Congress file a civil lawsuit, perhaps a class action suit as a group, against the disgraced former president of the United States for the January 6th attack on their place of work. Well, guess what happened today? The U.S. House Homeland Security chair accused Donald Trump in a federal lawsuit filed with the NAACP on Tuesday of inciting the deadly insurrection at the U.S. Capitol and conspiring with his lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, and extremist groups to try to prevent Congress from certifying the results of the 2020 election that Trump lost to Joe Biden. The lawsuit from Democratic Congressman Benny Thompson of Mississippi is part of an expected wave of litigation over the January 6th riot, according to AP, and is believed to be the first filed by a member of Congress. It seeks unspecified punitive and compensatory damages. Thompson told reporters as he recounted his harrowing experiences while Trump loyalists broke into the Capitol and disrupted the constitutionally mandated process of certifying the election, quote, all I wanted to do was my job and the insurrection that occurred prevented me from doing that. A Trump advisor, Jason Miller, claimed in a statement that Trump did not organize the rally that preceded the riot and, quote, did not incite or conspire to incite any violence at the Capitol on January 6th. On Saturday, however, the U.S. Senate, in a fairly lopsided and certainly unprecedented 57 to 43 bipartisan vote, disagreed, finding that the disgraced former president was indeed guilty as charged of incitement of insurrection. Though the 14-vote majority, including seven Republicans, was not enough to meet the exceedingly high constitutional bar for conviction in an impeachment, there can be no doubt that the U.S. Senate, in any event, has found Donald Trump guilty of inciting the violent, deadly attack on the U.S. government itself. The suit filed on uh, Tuesday comes three days after Trump was acquitted in that Senate impeachment trial. But that acquittal is now likely to open the door to fresh legal scrutiny over Trump's actions before and during the siege. Additional suits could be brought by other members of Congress or even by law enforcement officers who were injured while responding to the riot. One Capitol Police officer died during the attack. Two more took their own lives in the days after. 
and more than 100 were injured and or hospitalized, some of them very seriously. The carefully orchestrated series of events that unfolded at the Save America rally and the storming of the Capitol was no accident or coincidence, the suit charges. It was the intended and foreseeable culmination of a carefully coordinated campaign to interfere with the legal process required to confirm the tally of votes cast in the Electoral College, according to the suit. In the suit, Thompson says he was forced to wear a gas mask and hide on the floor of the House gallery for three hours while hearing, quote, threats of physical violence against member any member who attempted to proceed to approve the Electoral College ballot count. Thompson uh, is 72 years of age, and he claims that he was put at an increased health risk uh, by later being required to shelter in place in a cramped area that did not allow for social distancing. The suit notes that Thompson shared confined space with two members of Congress who tested positive for the virus shortly after the attack at the Capitol. He says, I feared for my life. Not a day passes that I don't think about this incident, adding that he was, quote, committed to seeing justice brought to this situation. He said, this is me and hopefully others having our day in court to address the atrocities of January 6. I trust the better judgment of the courts because obviously Republican members of the Senate could not do what the evidence overwhelmingly presented. The suit, of course, is just the latest, but hopefully not the last legal problem for Donald Trump. New York prosecutors are investigating his financial dealings. New York's attorney general is pursuing a civil investigation into whether Trump's company misstated assets to get bank loans and tax benefits. And a Georgia district attorney is examining his election interference effort there, along with Senator Lindsey Graham's, by the way, in a state where attempting to convince others to fraudulently change election results is a felony pun punishable by a year in jail. Of course, for the time being, Donald Trump remains the front runner for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination because Congress failed to disqualify him from running again, as they could have had they voted to convict him during his second impeachment trial. And by the way, even if convicted of a crime, most crimes at least, Trump would still be eligible to run for president anyway, as Eugene Debs did. He headed the uh, Socialist Party of America and he ran for president from prison in 1920, garnering about three and a half percent of the vote at the time. On Saturday, just after a majority in the U.S. Senate found Trump guilty of inciting a riot but fell short of the two thirds vote required to convict and disqualify from office, George Conway, the conservative uh, attorney husband of longtime senior counsel to Trump, Kellyanne Conway, tweeted, I guess it's time to face facts. Neither the Constitution's impeachment mechanism nor Section 4 of the 25th Amendment really works, he said. Section 4 of the 25th Amendment allows a president to be removed from office by his vice president and a majority of the president's cabinet when they determine him or her to be unfit for office. I mean, we've now had two presidential impeachment trials, Conway wrote, in which a grand total of zero witnesses were called and which will have resulted in acquittals despite overwhelming evidence of guilt and of 
And for four years, he added, we had a president who, by virtue of his psychological disorders, would have been removed from virtually any other job of significant responsibility. So these mechanisms just don't work, Conway argued, not because they don't make sense on paper, but because too many people charged with carrying them out lacked courage, principle, or both. It sure seems like Conway is right. The mechanisms we have in the U.S. Constitution simply do not seem to work, even in what now seems to be pretty much a worst-case scenario. No president has ever been removed from office by either impeachment or the 25th Amendment, even though three of them have now stood trial four different times in the U.S. Senate. Throughout Trump's two different impeachment trials, both he and his GOP defenders claimed the allegations against him were little more than a partisan witch hunt by Democrats who, they alleged, had called for Trump's impeachment on the very first day he took office. In fact, it wasn't Democrats who did that. It was an effort led by the nonpartisan, nonprofit government accountability group Free Speech for People, which did so, based on the constitutional claim that Trump, as soon as he was sworn in, was immediately in violation of the Constitution's emoluments clauses, which forbid presidents from profiting from their office, as Trump subsequently did for the next four years via his numerous hotels, resorts, and other businesses that he refused to divest from, even as president of the United States. John Boniface is a constitutional legal expert and both the co-founder and president of FreeSpeechForPeople.org. He formerly served as the executive director and general counsel of the National Voting Rights Institute. He has written several books on impeachment, including most recently in 2018, The Constitution Demands It, The Case for Impeachment of Donald Trump, written with fellow FSFP attorneys and constitutional legal scholars themselves, Ron Fine and Ben Clements. John Boniface joins us once again today. Welcome back to the broadcast, John. Thanks so much for having me, Brad. Good to be with you. And with you, sir. Is uh, So is George Conway right, John? Is the Constitution, as it's currently written, simply not up to the task of doing what needs to be done when it comes to the need to remove and or punish and or disqualify a uh, scofflaw president from office? Well, it certainly demonstrates that those who are sworn to take the oath to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution in the U.S. Senate are not up to the task, at least for the 43 members of the Republican Sedition Caucus, as John Nichols of the Nation has Mm -hmm. highlighted, who are every bit as guilty as as Donald Trump for voting to acquit him despite the overwhelming evidence that Donald Trump incited uh, this insurrection and was guilty as charged. Well, yeah, I guess we can blame Congress, uh, the senators. Obviously, they are to blame. But, you know, in, 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 his, in a statement explaining his vote to convict, Nebraska's Republican Senator Ben Sass said, quote, Congress is a weaker institution than the founders intended. A lot of Republicans talk about restoring Congress's power from an already overaggressive executive branch. He says conservatives regularly denounce executive overreach, but we ought uh, primarily to denounce legislative impotence. 
He says if Congress can't forcefully respond to an intimidation attack on Article 1, the Congress, instigated by, instigated by the head of Article 2, the executive branch, our constitutional balance will be permanently tilted. A weak and timid Congress will increasingly submit to an emboldened and empowered presidency. This institution, he said, needs to respect itself enough to tell the executive that some lines cannot be crossed. Well, John, um, so does it come down to a problem with Congress or a problem with the Constitution? And which one, depending on your answer, if, if either, is easier to course correct at this point somehow? Well, I, I remain of the view that there are those in power who are not abiding by their oath. I mean, a good example of how the legislative branch defers to the executive branch when, in fact, it should only be engaged in making these decisions on their own is the War Powers Clause of the mm -hmm. Constitution, which makes clear that Congress and only Congress has the power to declare war. But as we know, for decades now, that War Powers Clause has been eroded and ignored, mm -hmm. uh, and the president has assumed the powers of a king with respect to initiating military action. Uh, so I think there are other areas of, of the Constitution that, again, ensure that we the people are supposed to be represented, but in, in actuality there's this deference to an almighty executive branch, and it is dangerous and needs to be remedied. Well, I agree, but I don't know how to do it. I mean, uh, changing the Constitution itself is a tall order, and changing uh, Congress and the Senate apparently is a tall order. I mean, John, that War Powers Act you mentioned, uh, that issue has been in place now for decades, and, uh, you know, people barely talk about it, much less take action, uh, you know, against their uh, senators and, and Congress people. And, by the way, even if they do, the you know the the House uh, in particular has been you know so gerrymandered that it's very difficult to do anything about it. I, I mean, I guess I'm looking at all of these institutions that, in some form, have failed, and wondering, well, where do we start and how do we start to uh, to change that? Well, I think we start uh, most importantly with respect to protecting our democracy going forward, and that means eliminating the filibuster mm -hmm. so that sweeping reforms that protect our elections and the promise of equality for all in the political process are upheld. Uh, and the only way we're going to see the kinds of reforms that need to be enacted in the first instance is to eliminate the filibusters. The filibusters, we know, requires a 60% majority uh, in the U.S. Senate uh, for anything to pass. Uh, and that is contrary to any basic principle of small-d democracy. So that that's a first order of business for those in the U.S. Senate uh, and, frankly, those in the White House who are pledge, pledging to protect uh, and defend our, our democracy. We need to eliminate the filibuster, and we need to get on with the business of responding uh, to these voter suppression efforts throughout the country that we now see in state legislatures to try to roll us back and disenfranchise mm -hmm. millions of voters. Which, of course, we would be able to do with H.R. 1 uh, and, and uh, Senate Bill 1, both of which the uh, in the For the People Act call for 
uh, much needed reforms like getting rid of the gerrymander, uh, congressional gerrymandering and uh, restoring the Voting Rights Act. But as you say, it's going to require the filibuster to be removed to pass that because Lord knows we can't count on probably any Republican votes at all. And yet we've got Democrats, John, uh, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, Kirsten Sinema of Arizona. They have vowed that they would not end the filibuster, even though the Democrats have the, uh, the, the numbers now, the majority to do so. So, uh, so that seems like another dead end. I don't know. Am no, I wrong? I, actually, I would, I would suggest that it ought not to be a dead end, right? They, they make their statements that they don't want to end the filibuster. But then the follow-up question is, so what is the political leadership doing with those statements? Are they independent actors who completely have no allegiance whatsoever to their party, to the president, to the Constitution, to democracy? Do they have no accountability with any of those forces? I would argue that what we haven't seen that needs to be now exercised is some leadership from the White House, from the Senate leadership, making clear uh, to those two senators that it is not acceptable for them to stand in the way of major reforms that are desperately needed to protect our democracy and to protect the promise of free and fair elections for all and to ensure that our government works for all. And, and they, they don't have a choice on this one. So, uh, you know, I, I think that's the difference here, right? We, we, we somehow uh, look at the other, uh, you know, elements of the Senate, such as Rand Paul and Ted Cruz, mm-hmm. and, and they... Uh, you know, are are making outrageous claims about this prior election, baseless claims as Donald Trump made around election fraud, uh, and you know they're they're rightly challenged by their own caucus. Maybe not enough, but there, mm-hmm. there are voices within their own caucus that have made clear they don't agree with them. But I'm not hearing much in the way of members of the Senate challenging. Joe Manchin or Kirsten mm-hmm. Cinema, with respect uh, to this question of the filibuster, and I think that's where we are needing to go now. There yeah. needs to be uh, a pushback in a big way, because this filibuster, as President Obama has said, is a relic of, of the Jim Crow era. It needs to be abolished, and it stands in the way of critical reforms that our nation needs including reforms to protect our democracy. So pressing uh, some of those other Democratic senators and the, the, the leadership in the Senate to, in turn, press Manchin and Cinema uh, to do the right thing uh, might be the way to go. Uh, as far as Trump goes, John Bonifaz, um, aside from impeachment and the 25th Amendment in the Constitution, uh, there's another section of the Constitution that has yet come into play in this matter. That would be Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which reads, uh, in pertinent part, no person shall, holding any office under the United States or under any state, who, having previously taken an oath as an officer of the United States or uh, as a member of any state legislature to support the Constitution of the United States shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. Well, the U.S. Senate has voted. It wasn't enough for impeachment, but a majority has voted that, in fact, Donald Trump 
uh, did engage in insurrection uh, against the the U.S. government. Can that measure still be used? And if so, uh, what would Congress need to do to accomplish that? Right. So this is a critical next step needed to ensure that this lawless ex-president who is disqualified from running for office again based mm-hmm. on this provision of the 14th Amendment, that this, in fact, be be implemented, that this be exercised by Congress. All they would need to do is pass a resolution or legislation making clear uh, that, that Donald Trump engaged in this insurrection uh, and as such is disqualified uh, from future public office. That would then provide the basis for states around the country to refuse to allow him on the ballot. Mm. Uh, now, people, you know, might say, well, this is just so anti-democratic, small d. You know, if he wants to run again, he should be able to run again. But there was a reason why, uh, you know, this provision was put into the 14th mm-hmm. Amendment. Of course, it was a post-Civil War amendment, and, and we just had uh, a situation where there are people in the country who had engaged in insurrection, the Confederates, and the view was they were not entitled to hold public office. And someone like Donald Trump, who engages in inciting a violent insurrection against the United States government, mm-hmm. seeking to overthrow his own, uh, the, the, the election that is ousting him mm-hmm. so that he can stay in power as an autocrat, that is as, as dangerous as allowing the Confederates to hold public office after the Civil War, and he should be treated as such. Uh, and so that kind of resolution ought to be ought to be passed by Congress. But again, we we get back to the filibuster question. Some people want to say, well, we have the 57 votes to convict, so we just need three more. And surely, out of the 43 who voted to acquit, there are three more. You know that you could go into that mathematical uh, kind of debate and determine whether you have 60. But really, there is no basis for a 60 percent requirement in the Senate to exercise this provision of the Constitution. It ought to be a simple majority, 51 senators, who are clearly there and ready to go. Uh, And this comes back to how we have to remove that structural barrier to our democracy, the filibuster. And I would just add, it's not only members of the Senate who need to speak up, but President Biden, who has been up until now claiming that he's not ready to call for the end of the filibuster. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure how much longer he needs to wait to see why that barrier needs to come down. But so, in any event, to invoke uh, Section 3 of the 14th, it wouldn't, it, it, that, that's it. A resolution by the Senate would be enough, with or without the filibuster. You wouldn't have to bring in, for example, the DOJ. They wouldn't have to pass a new law. Uh, the Department of Justice would not have to uh, bring some form of criminal charges. Is that correct? That's correct. There's nothing in the 14th Amendment that requires a criminal indictment. It's, it's, it would be a sense of the Congress in terms of his incitement of the insurrection. If they wanted to make it an actual law, they could do that, uh, too. They could go either direction, but it doesn't have to involve the Department uh, of Justice. And then what will happen, as I said, is that states will then uh, follow that guidance from the Congress Mm -hmm. and not place Donald Trump on the ballot. I'm sure there will be rogue states that refuse to follow, uh, but, of course, he needs to be on the ballot of, of all the states, nearly all of them, in order to have any prayer for 
uh, winning the electoral college vote, assuming we haven't abolished the electoral college in time for the 2024 election, as we should. And of course, he would uh, he would uh, challenge that if if he was uh, you know not placed on the ballot, that would go to the Supreme Court that he has. Uh, packed and stacked that the uh, Democrats then need to respond to as well to expand it, which they can only do if they get rid of the filibuster. So, boy, getting rid of, rid of the filibuster sure does solve a lot of problems, doesn't it? Um, John, uh, when it comes to the uh, criminal aspect of this, uh, I know that uh, you, uh, I think it was right after the January 6th attack, uh, you at Free Speech for People joined a coalition calling for Biden's attorney general designate Merrick Garland to form a task force to look at the attack and to, quote, hold accountable those who have uh, uh, violated the nation's laws. In a similar vein, on Monday at Bradblog.com, our legal analyst Ernie Canning posted an article calling on Garland uh, to prosecute Trump, investigate and prosecute um, under uh, various uh, forms of the federal code, code solicitation to commit a crime of violence, uh, rebellion or insurrection, the seditious conspiracy act, etc. Um, but we've seen the DOJ sort of whiff in the past when it comes to prosecuting, you know, previous presidents. Do you have any sense that Biden's AG would be more inclined to do so than say, Biden's AG was after uh, George W. Bush administration? You mean Obama's AG? Obama's AG, uh, yeah. Thank you. Yes. You, I, I, think that, I think this is going to be a major test uh, of the Department of Justice and President Biden's claim uh, that he has made, which is he's going to stay out of these kinds of decisions. He's going to allow the Department of Justice to be independent. If, in fact, that's the case, then it is a test for the Department of Justice and for incoming Attorney General Merrick Garland, assuming he gets confirmed. Uh, and and it's, an, it's a critical test for the rule of law, for our democracy, for our Constitution. If, if there are not serious criminal investigations that get pursued with respect to the federal crimes that Donald Trump and his associates have committed, then we are sending a clear message uh, to both Donald Trump and, and his associates as well as to future uh, people who would come into public office, that they, too, can be above the law. They, too, can get away with these kinds of crimes uh, and more. And so we're, we're at that critical juncture here. That's why we've issued a letter, a coalition of organizations, uh, to Merrick Garland as the Attorney General designate, urging that immediately upon his confirmation, he establish a task force to coordinate all federal investigations uh, into the federal crimes that Donald Trump and his associates have uh, committed. And that I think that task force would send a clear signal to people in the Department of Justice and to the U.S. Attorney's Office that we're going to not leave any stone unturned. We are going to ensure that the rule of law applies to this ex-president uh, as well as his associates. And that's a critical message uh, to send. I, I do fear that there are elements in the political sphere who want to, you know, effectively move this on, not have any kind of federal criminal investigations of Trump and his associates, and argue somehow that this will be a cloud over the Biden administration if they proceed with those kinds of investigations. But the cloud will really be over the Biden administration if there's a signal sent to the Justice Department that they don't want 
uh, mm-hmm. this kind of enforcement of the law. That will be the cloud, and, and I, I, I urge, and we have been urging uh, the, the Justice Department to stay clear of that uh, and, and to move forward with these criminal investigations. Uh, I concur. Yeah, the cloud would be if he doesn't, uh, if they don't take action. Very quickly, I got like 15 seconds, John. Um, I, I mentioned that uh, someone who is charged with a federal felony can still, even while in jail, run for federal office, except for a violation, I believe, of the Rebellion and Insurrection Act. I think it's 18 U.S. Code uh, Section 2383 that bars them from holding future office. Is that your understanding? And is it uh, particularly important to bring that charge against Trump for that specific reason? Uh, it, it is, and um, and certainly, you know, one of the bases for any kind of of conditioning of of a punishment were he to be found guilty uh, and convicted, it would be barring him. Um, from running again and holding office again. Uh, but, you know, there's so many other federal crimes for which he needs to be investigated. Obstruction of justice, we should not forget, mm. of course, was mm-hmm. uh, laid out very clearly in the Mueller report. We were told repeatedly uh, that Mueller made the decision uh, that, you know, that they could not indict a sitting president. Uh, but the door was clearly left open for when he left office. Uh, and, and, and now he's out of office. All the evidence presented from the Mueller report ought to go f- forward in terms of a criminal investigation. The naming of Donald Trump as individual one mm-hmm. in the U.S. attorney's investigation that landed Michael Cohen, his former attorney, in jail yep. for a conspiracy to violate campaign finance law and defraud the United States individual one was Donald Trump, he should be held accountable there. Uh, There there are many other examples here of federal investigations that need to proceed now that he no longer has that shield, a shield that we didn't agree with. We don't think it's right to say that a sitting president can violate the law left and right and and get away with it and not be held accountable. But leaving that aside, he's no longer a sitting president, and he doesn't uh, get to have that claim of immunity any longer, uh, and the law ought to catch up and hold them accountable. Couldn't agree more. John Boniface, co-founder, president of freespeechforpeople.org. I suspect we will be talking to you and your uh, your co-authors in The Constitution Demands It, the case for the impeachment of Donald Trump. Uh, those co-authors being Ron Fine and Ben Clements, also of FSFP, uh, about all of this uh, a great deal in the future. That's a long rap sheet that former president has. You can find, uh, of course, Free Speech for People at freespeechforpeople.org. You can find them on the Twitters at FSFP. And you can find John himself there as well. He's a great follow. He is John Bonifaz on the Twitters. Thanks, John. Always great speaking with you, my friend. I suspect we'll do it again soon. Thank you, Brad. Great to talk with you. Our pleasure as ever. Uh, yeah, Des, this is going to take a while. Oh, yes. Uh, there is a lot of accountability to come. The good news is there's a lot of people looking to see that accountability for this horrific president in all sorts of ways, criminal, civil, in state after state. Yep. Uh, that story is going to go on for a while. No, I don't think he's going to get away with it. I don't think. Well, we'll unless, see. Unless I mean, it's a tough a, one. 
uh, an Enron. What was the guy's name? Ken Lay. Ken who, Lay. Who died before he could actually go to jail. Yeah. Speaking of Enron, they're having uh, fun with the electric utilities down in Texas today. We'll take a quick break and we will come back with Desi Doyen and the latest Green News report on that mess in Texas. I'm Brad Friedman and you are listening to the Bradcast. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. I got to tell you, Desi Doyen, yep. uh, I take no pleasure uh, when I see all of the warnings that you have given out for so many years uh, come to roost. I don't, yeah. uh, that's mixed metaphor, but you understand what I'm saying. <laughs> yes, I do understand uh, what you're saying. And yes, it is very disappointing because it's not like we haven't been warning people about this. And climate scientists haven't been warning people about this. And engineers haven't been warning people about this for literally decades. Decades. And in fact, on the Green News Report now for more than a decade, we've been warning people about it. We are now celebrating our 12th anniversary of the Green News Report, heading into our lucky 13th year. <laughs> all of these years uh, on, on, on your public airwaves thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help keep both the Bradcast and the Green News Report up and running. So uh, let's get to it. Our latest Green News Report. A once-in-a-generation winter storm is hammering parts of the South and it is affecting states that aren't equipped to handle the record low temperatures or the snow or the ice. Historic storm cripples Texas, knocks out power to millions, brings record low temperatures to dozens of states. That said, U.S. winters aren't as cold as they used to be. <laughs> Plus... Uh, last night, I was, uh, I was on the phone for two straight hours with Xi Jinping. Biden warns China is outpacing the U.S. on infrastructure. All of those warnings and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent Independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. If we don't get moving, they're going to eat our lunch. Sounds delicious. What are we serving? Crow. This is your Green News Report. Well, okay, Desi Doyen, this winter storm is packing a wallop across. Boy, most of the United States. <laughs> yes. As we go to air, more than 150 million Americans in 25 states are under winter storm warnings and advisories as a truly historic storm spreads heavy snow and significant ice from the southern plains of Texas all the way up to the northeast. The National Weather Service called the hazardous weather, quote, unprecedented and expansive. Texas is ground zero for this storm, record-breaking for the state in its scope and intensity. For the first time, all 254 counties in Texas are under winter storm advisories. It's an extremely serious situation for nearly 4 million customers who lost power amid the record cold temperatures on Monday as widespread ice and snow paralyzed the state. Well, so much for global warming. 
I'm just putting my audition reel together for Fox News. Mm-hmm. I hear they're hiring. The power outages and rolling blackouts are caused by complex factors, but in short, they were caused by a record high demand at the same time as the extreme cold knocked out power lines, froze natural gas pipelines, and some wind turbines not hardened for low temperatures, and caused natural gas and coal power plants to trip offline. The Texas grid operator was forced to prioritize natural gas supplies for heating and a away from electricity generation. Overall, about a third of Texas capacity was knocked offline. That's about 15 Hoover Dams worth of power plant capacity. Grid failures in this storm show that the existing fossil fuel-based system cannot handle these conditions. It will take time for scientists to determine the influence of man-made climate change on this particular extreme storm, but it is in line with projections that global warming is making such storms even more intense and frequent. So global warming is making everything colder. No, global warming is making everything hotter and more extreme. A growing body of research has found that melting of sea ice in the Arctic is disrupting the jet stream that drives weather systems across the U.S., allowing ultra-cold Arctic air to blast all the way down to the Gulf Coast. Yet, on the same day that Texas froze, Miami, Florida, on Monday, hit a record heat index of 92. Of course it did. And actually, around the entire globe, it's much warmer than normal It's just freezing cold in those 25 U.S. states. And new data from Climate Central shows cold winter temperatures are not as cold as they used to be. In the U.S., winter is the fastest warming season, and the coldest temperatures across the nation have trended upward over the past 50 years. In Dallas, for example, the lowest temperature reached every year has increased by nearly 8 degrees Fahrenheit since 1970. President Biden approved emergency declaration requests for federal disaster aid from Texas and other states, even though they didn't vote for him. (laughs) Meteorologists in the insurance industry warned that this extreme weather event, once it's over, will likely cost the U.S. well over a billion dollars, making this storm probably the first billion dollar disaster of 2021. Unfortunately, it probably won't be the last. The power outages are spreading to other states in the path of the storm as well. These systems were simply not designed for 21st century climate extremes, and our aging infrastructure system simply can't handle it. Late last week, in a meeting with a bipartisan group of senators, President Biden warned of the critical need to invest in repairing and upgrading the aging U.S. electric grid and other infrastructure, not just for resilience, but also for economic competitiveness. He warned China is aggressively outpacing the United States on infrastructure building, investing more in clean energy deployment and high-speed rail than the United States. We don't get moving. They're going to eat our lunch. Uh, They have major, major new initiatives on rail. They're investing billions of dollars in dealing with a whole range of issues that relate to transportation, the environment. China, as usual, is playing the long game. The U.S., as usual is playing catch-up. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. We are now celebrating our 12th anniversary of the Green News Report, and we thank you for your support at bradblog.com slash donate. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your... Green News Report.
Yes, we are running behind in this country uh, compared to the rest of the world, which is just shameful, just embarrassing. Uh, Speaking of running on empty, Des, it's not just the power that is out across much of Texas uh, at this hour. The city of Abilene said yesterday that water customer water customers had just two to three hours of treated water capacity remaining at their current consumption levels. The city said immediate curtailment of consumption is needed. Do not use water unless you use it to drink or cook. The water shortage was created by power outages across the water system. The city was asking people to not take baths or showers or use water for any life, non-life-sustaining uses. Now, by early morning on Tuesday, the city of Abilene had hoped to have water restored by the end of the day. It was restored to uh, one of the three water treatment plants in town which actually uh, provide water to a bunch of cities in the area. Uh, that was uh, back and online and pushing water into town, according to the statement, at 4.15 a.m. on Tuesday. But two water treatment plants were still without power. The city is urging people not to open their faucets to uh, allow the system time to recharge. Of course, I know in Texas, a lot of times they leave the system open to uh, keep the pipes from freezing. Yes, homeowners have to do that because, of course, winterizing is not really a part of the building code in Texas. So Again, no regulations for that? Mm, uh, you know, I, I can't tell you exactly what the uh, regulations are, but I know that everybody in Texas has to leave their taps open unless they're in Houston, which is a totally different system, and it don't leave your taps open because that's bad. Well, apparently don't leave your taps open at this point in the city of Abilene either because right. uh, once you do have water, they're warning, do not consume it, don't don't uh, use it because to, it's untreated. Right. If you use it at all to drink, cook or brush your teeth, you must first boil the water for two minutes before you can use it for that purposes. But hey, as I hear from some members of your family, <laughs> Texas has no income tax. So isn't that fantastic? I'm sure all the businesses that relocated there for that are really happy they did that. Yeah. Now. Look at what look at all the services you get for it. No electricity, no water, in the middle of a freezing cold, deadly cold snap. All right. It's going well. Anyway, we got to get out. Thank you very much to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, John Bonifaz of freespeechforpeople.org, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It's always greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That is made possible by those of you who support our efforts on, yes, our 12th anniversary of the Green News Report by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. We will see you there until we see you here next time, hopefully tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. 